Hello, dental online trainers. This is Dr. Dennis Hartley. Welcome to another episode of DOT Sharecast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Well, hello, dental online trainers. It's Dr. Dennis Hartley again, and welcome to today's edition of DOT Sharecast. With me today, via the World Wide Web and Zoom, is my longtime friend, Dr. A.J. Asserno. Hello there, A.J. Welcome to our ShareCast. Glad to be here. Uh, A.J., I'm going to get a little in front of my skis here. I'm going to get a little ahead of myself, and I want to give our listeners a little bit of your background, and then you're going to sort of fill in, and we're going to sort of uh, go back and forth a little bit. Um, so I met A.J. probably about 20 years ago, I think. Does that sound nearly right? That sounds about right, yeah, yeah. So um, AJ is a graduate of the Creighton University undergrad and dental school, as I recall. Is that correct? Yep. Chicago yep. guy. And then he came back and AJ uh, took over a practice that was one of the founding members of a study club that I had been with for uh, about 10 years at that time. And so I got to know AJ through, through the study club. Uh, the reason that I'm asking AJ to join us for today's ShareCast is because AJ has become somewhat of an, of an expert, actually, on DSOs and um, understanding DSOs. And he has really a maybe a unique style, and he'll talk about his style of DSO. Um, but I wanted to bring AJ in because I know a lot of our listeners and readers are either involved with DSOs as young dentists or many young dentists or many, many dentists are looking to create group practices. So I want to talk yeah. about from for both those spots, right? From someone who's sort of young and getting into it and people who want to be able to grow into more practices. Before yeah. we start though, um, AJ, he's the co-founder with his brother, Michael, who's also just another excellent dentist, excellent guy of, and AJ, you run, you are the CEO, I believe, correct? correct. Of Decision, correct. One, yep. Decision One Dental Group. And I believe now you're over 30 practices. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Um, and I believe they're all in the Chicago community at this point. Uh, yeah, Wisconsin. We're, we ventured into Wisconsin, so we got one up there. Fantastic. So AJ is the only person that I know, only person I know personally, that's done a TED talk. And <laughs> I think that is so cool. And I am so jealous because I love TED talks uh, because they're right to the point. You got your time, and you gotta. You just gotta kill it. And you had a great. Um, you had a great title. Healthcare has lost its soul. And so, if I have not seen this, you can go on YouTube, go to TED Talk, and just uh, punch in A.G. Asierno. Um, uh, healthcare has lost its soul, which I believe is is really sort of maybe one of the the, the core values, the core features of your DSO, uh, which we'll talk to in just a little bit. Um, and I know you've been a guest on numerous podcasts and you've been interviewed a bunch of times. So this is old hat for you. But I, I can't thank you enough, truly, for uh, joining us today and sharing uh, with us your wisdom. So nah, that. Then it's my pleasure. My pleasure. And I'll tell you what, um, it wasn't too long ago that I think, but then you just said 20 years where I, I, I went into your practice and man, the amount that I learned in just like a four hour period in your practice watching you work. Um, and at the time, uh, I, I, I think you were still, uh, it was yourself and your partner and, um, it was just, it was pretty amazing. You know, well, thank you. That, that's the, the, the work that you're doing is tremendous. Well, thank you very much. 
So AJ, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, uh, given that we're taping this or recording this at the end of uh, the summer of COVID 2019 season, 2020 yeah. summer, uh, how, how are you and your family? How's everybody? Everybody's good. Everybody's safe so far. Knock on wood. And uh, your teams at the, all your, your dental practices, uh, people are hopefully unfazed. People are getting along okay? Yeah, teams are good. I mean, you know, it, running a healthcare company during a pandemic is probably not the place that you really want to be, to be honest with you. Um, it, it's tough. It's, it's, we've had to make really, really tough decisions uh, when you're running any company in America right now, or, or the world, I should say. Um, but um, understanding that you're dealing with emotions of a lot of people because everybody has different emotions. Uh, our patients have different emotions. Our team members have different emotions. Um, so you're managing people more than ever, and you're managing the psychology of people, but now you're actually managing an economic crisis, a pandemic, a, all the other things that come along with, with what we're going through. So um, I can tell you that every day is a different day. Like you could wake up in the morning and my schedule is listed out for me of this is what I'm doing. And I can guarantee somebody by the end of the day, that schedule doesn't look anything like it, it did before. Let me ask you a question. You talked about your team members. You talked about patients. Uh, tell me about the emotions you went through. So, you know, the weight that I have on my shoulders, I have 350 people that rely on me and the decisions that we make to have a paycheck right? That's, that's, a, that's a large weight that you go to bed with every night. And when this right. all happened, for the first time ever, our revenue source just got strangled off, right? Yes. So, yes. Um, you know, I always tell everybody this, the ramp down was easy, right? Everybody knows it's a pandemic. It's like, hey, everybody, we got to furlough everybody. We got to move them. We tried to help them into uh, unemployment. And, you know, that part was really easy. I say easy emotionally, it was draining. Like the baby that you just built for all these years is right now on life support because of an outside source. I always imagined that I'd wake up in the morning, look myself in the mirror and go, AJ, you screwed this thing up, right? right. Exactly. And I would have to deal with myself. It was very emotional to go, I can't believe something on the outside is actually taking down the thing that we, we, we all built together, all the dentists that are in our group, that we built this thing, and now this is where it's at. And so the ramp down was emotional. The ramp up, super strategic. I mean, financially strategic, PPE strategic. Um, we were having conversations overseas in Europe, China. Australia, we, we were all over the world just trying to figure out how is this going to work. We were watching Europe and their ramp up. How did they do? We watched China and their ramp up. How did they do? We had to go ahead and start securing PPE over in China. I never imagined that I'd be waking up at three in the morning. And I mean, I did this 50 times um, more. Uh, waking up in the middle of the night, having conversations with China saying, can you get me this secured by four o'clock tomorrow? And can it get on a ship by that time? You know, and then watching the ship and, 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 and looking at it and finding out that your stuff just got stolen in Europe. Oh. And now you're, now you're calling back and then, then it gets to the United States and then it was commandeered in the United States. And then you're having to, it, Dennis, it was, it was that, was the worst part, right? The ramp up was the hardest. That's interesting. I know when, uh, you know, and I, I just own one practice 
And for me, there is a, it was an emotional sucker punch to the gut for me, um, having to furlough or lay off uh, our staff. And I, I had a, a little bout, I wouldn't say I was in depression, but I was definitely depressed. I was definitely sad. I was saddened by the whole events and my lack of being able to have control. So it sounds a lot of what you're going through then as you're trying to ramp back up is sort of this lack of control, things outside your control. And we'll talk about this in a bit because I think this is a really interesting thing as we start talking about having multiple practices and having control. Yeah. But I have to imagine that had to be just, just incredibly upsetting for you given that what we do as dentists is all about what we can control. And then someone who has multiple practices about being able to control these things. And now these things are out of your grasp. And that had to be just really just incredibly uh, challenging for you. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all going to Monday morning quarterback some things, Dennis. I, 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 I made no secret that I was unhappy with the representation that Dennis got um, all over the United States. Um, how we were not deemed essential. It was crazy. I actually, this morning at 10 a.m., just had a meeting with uh, Drew Ferguson, Dr. Ferguson, who's a, a congressman out of Georgia, um, who's, who is a former dentist. And, um, you know, we have dentists, there's five dentists in Congress right now. And so that. we had five dentists screaming amongst everybody, hey, you're missing the boat here. How are you deeming this non-essential? Are you guys crazy? If this ends up in the, in the hospital, do you know what's going to happen to the hospital? So our representation, it was a real miss, you know? And I honestly, I'll be honest with you, I was furloughing people was bad. Dealing with the dental societies and dealing with organized dentistry, honestly, that, that for me, that was the gut punch. You know, because I was like, oh, man, what, do we do we actually know what we're doing right now? You know, because immediately Oops. restaurants assembled lobbyist teams, immediately medical assembly lobbyist teams. Like we were honestly, we were lost. If it wasn't for those five dentists in Congress, man, we would we would have been way, way in deeper trouble. Well, I know in Illinois, many of us were really frustrated with the lack of leadership, I think, from just a state level. And I think many of us were frustrated that the ADA was slow to respond and felt, I think many of us felt like the ADA was somewhat crippled that they were not, they were not standing up for our rights. The fact that chiropractors were deemed essential and dentists were seemed non-essential, uh, it, it absolutely is mind blowing for anyone who understands what dentists do for a living. And so it's, it's interesting to hear your, your take on this and then your conversations. This is, Many of us, and I don't know, I'm sure you're aware of the World Health Organization's recommendation from last week, yeah. one week ago, yeah. that patients should avoid going to the dentist, which is just absolutely ridiculous and just shows such a deep misunderstanding or ignorance of most people's understanding of what dentistry does and what we do to keep people healthy. Absolutely just, it's mind-blowing, mind mind-boggling, and, and quite honestly, just incredibly disappointing to see that the leadership was so so poor and and at least the ADA came out with a albeit a little bit later from the World Health Organization they did have a response saying that we are we are essential but it is disappointing yeah. that uh, that we have such poor uh, representation and I know there are lobbyists through the ADA there are lobbyists that are supposed to be positioned for us but apparently they they have not been 
they, they haven't been doing what we need them to be doing. It's a tough, yeah. I, I sit on the board of directors for the ADSO, which is the American Dental Service Organization, which has all the, the DSOs um, across the United States, part of it. And on the ADSO level, we're doing a lot of work with lobbyists and our congressmen and, and, and so on and so forth, like I did today, um, advocating for dentists. Private, group, it doesn't matter. We're just advocating right now for dentists to have a seat at the table. I think it it is time that dentists have been known, and I know there's a lot of young dentists out there, great profession, unbelievable. One of the greatest things about it is, is that it's a doctor-patient relationship, right? That is the yes. greatest thing. Yes. And nobody understands that until you're just you and the patient in a room taking care of somebody in your hands and their mouth. That's the special connection that we have. You want to keep that. Um, but dentistry has always been kind of the stepchild or the second wind when discussing healthcare. For sure. I've been on, I've been on the calls, right? Like when we were in the midst of a pandemic and they were talking about fit testing of N95s and should we get it or not? And should we get N95s, K95s? Uh, what happens with essential? And you're sitting there and you're going, well, wait a second, excuse me, Congressman, I got a question. What, what are we going to do with dental? Huh. No, actually, we forgot about that. You know, like, uh, yeah, I guess we have to figure that out. It, I, I don't think a lot of people know that this, that a letter was sent out with the top 10 professions that PPE had to be, um, they were going to get the first crack at PPE in the, in, in the United States. Uh, top 10, dentistry wasn't even in the top 10. It barely made the top 15. It was number 14. Chiropractors, veterinarians, uh, those are just a couple that in my head were put in front of us. Really? It, it's a, it was a, and, and now we're number four. We finally got to number four, but we got to number four because we had to have a seat at the table and start screaming and yelling. And thank goodness for, again, the five congressmen that we have. Well, thank goodness. And thank goodness to people like you who got up and started beating down doors and making sure that people heard the call because we, we need to have representation. And many of us believe that's what the ADA is supposed to be doing for us and that's where our dues are going. And it's important that we do have the seat at the table. So where the ADA is falling short or maybe they just need more voices to, to clamor, which you wouldn't think, you would think the ADA would be able to have a strong enough voice that they wouldn't need to have others like yourself come in. Uh, I can say thank you because we, we are essential and anyone who practices dentistry and our patients know we're essential. And you've had the same experience I have. I am sure that your patients have also been just flabbergasted that we were, that we were closed, that we were not essential. And mad. Yeah. They were mad. Yep. Very upset. And so, uh, and so thank you for, for being part of that to make sure that we are, we're, we're looked at as a profession that we are that we're here, that we take care of people and that we're caring, caring for these people and we're making sure they're healthy to help minimize their risk. Because of all times, right. we need our patients to be healthy because we do know that systemic diseases are influenced by the oral cavity. And we have to make sure that our patients are as healthy as they can be. And the oral care is absolutely paramount to that. So thank you very, very much. We're going to talk yeah, about your absolutely. DSO stuff in a bit. I do. Uh, so I always like to ask this question as I'm talking to dentists. Remind me, tell me, what was your first dental procedure that you remember doing? I was doing a DO on a kid that was six years old. First dental procedure, no joke. 
and he bit down on my finger and it was about the worst pain that I ever went through. And I'm like, how did I get myself involved in this? <laughs> no joke, no joke. He was the worst kid in the world. He, he, he bit down on my finger. We finally got him off my finger. And then he <laughs> sat, he sat in a corner and refused to get up from the corner. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a disaster. <laughs> Welcome to dentistry. Oh my golly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I like bringing that up because I've, I've had the opportunity to be part of Marquette Dental School for 25 years or so. And dentistry has changed for sure, but treating patients is still the same thing that I went through 30 some years ago and then you went through, you know, more recently than that. But dentistry, yeah. dentistry and people biting you is part of the dental experience. Yep. I, you know, so AJ, when my, my goal, as we talked about, is I want... Um, young dentist to understand sort of your path and stuff like that. And so now you're, you're the CEO of a DSO that owns, you know, over 30 practices. And I want to say this first, before we go any further. So my practice is a boutique practice. It's a high-end practice, fee-for-service practice. And while it's, it's different than many of the practices that are part of your DSO, maybe different than all of them in some respects, but we, we, do, we do have commonalities we have commonalities in the practice and that we are serving our patients and all. And a lot of people in my social dental circle think that people who are, who own these DSOs, they're sort of like the antichrist, you know, have you heard this? <laughs> oh, I heard it. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I take the opposite opinion, quite honestly. I, I believe that there, there needs to be service for all patients and there's going to be patients that have, many different needs. And I believe also not only do patients have many different needs, I think dentists also have many different needs. I mean, when I graduated dental school in 1988, Sears Dental had just first started opening their dental clinic. So that was right around 88, 89, 90, somewhere right in that area. I think it was 88. Uh, so the idea of working for a corporation back in the 80s as a dentist was really outside the norm, I mean, way outside the norm. But as we've learned, there's a place for this, not only for the patient community, but for the dental community. Because the DSO, when it's run well, it, can, it offers the opportunity for young dentists or even experienced dentists to have a, a place at the table in a dental practice that will help them in many ways, help them manage their practice, help them manage their overhead, give them a sense of community, uh, a sense of leadership, give them leadership training, right? All sorts of things like that. So while many of my colleagues will sort of poo-poo these DSOs, I believe the DSOs serve the dental community really, really well. And especially one of the, one, the, the ones that I like are DSOs like yours, ones that are, are really interested in serving the dentist and serving the community and serving the, the patients. So I want to make sure that we've had that conversation because I'm very, yeah. I respect very much what you've done. And in whole, I believe DSOs are there for a reason. And I don't think it's just a bunch of uh, money grubbers. I think that there is an opportunity to help dentistry overall. And I don't think boutique love, practices and general practices like mine are going away. I think there's room for both. I love having those conversations because I'm in agreement with you. I think there is room for both. Um, you know, I have a unique, per I have a unique perspective because I, I started out my career two years with a large DSO, and after a large DSO, can you say who it is? Can you, can you say who it is? Uh, Heart, Heartland, Heartland Dental, 
and um, like them a lot. I'm still friends with uh, Rick and, 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 and their group. Um, uh, like them a lot. I was just kind of burnt out, and um, there was a lot of things I liked and a lot of things I didn't like, you know. So, um, so let's, let's I, talk about that before you, before you yeah. move on. Yeah. You, so you're right out of dental school, right out of Creighton. Right out of dental school. All right. My brother, my, my dad's a CPA. My mom's a teacher. My brother took over uh, our kids' dentist practice, his kids, our dentist, uh, his practice. That's my So thing. I know where to go. Yep. So I know All where right. to go. All right. So you're working for Heartland Dental and you said there's things you liked about it and things you didn't like. So as a young dentist, yeah. a couple of years out, what did you like about it? What was, what was the good of the, your experience with Heartland? The, the amount of training I received my first two years, I, I, I couldn't match it anywhere else. I mean, I learned how to run a training amount of like, I learned how to run. Yeah. I learned how to run a business. I learned how to do better root canals. I mean, they put me through so much CE. In fact, I'll tell you how much 340 hours of CE in the first year. Wow. That's how, That's that's how much I went through. I actually spent more time on weekends doing CE than I did hanging out with my friends my first year. Uh, now they've, They've learned from that because I think there's a, there's a negative to that. You get burnt out, you know, I mean, all of a sudden, like you're a year out and you're, you're burnt, you know, Um, and they've learned from that and they've gone through there, but there's some things that I like and I don't like. Um, The the other things I didn't like is, is that, you know, when you're part of a big corporation, sometimes you get lost as just being a number, you know, all of a sudden everything starts to be cookie cutter. All of a sudden it's all dentists are the same. And when all of us are different, um, you know, those, th- those things I, I didn't like, you know, um, and so I was able to do that, but I was able to go then from that to private practice, a small private practice to where I bought three other dentists in my buildings offices to bring them into my office to make it a large dental practice. So now I'm a private dentist in a large dental practice. And this is at Jack's I practice, did, correct? That's, that's a that Jack's number. That's the practice in Schaumburg. So AJ took over a practice or bought a practice of a senior dentist who retired in the community where I was uh, part of a study club. And that's, that's when AJ and I first got to know each other. And then I, um, uh, so I grew that one. And then um, I, I started doing some consulting uh, for about a year and a half. Um, and then some of the people that we helped out were like, well, wait a second, why don't you just buy my practice? And that's when my mind started moving and saying, man, the one thing is the things I liked about the DSO, I can't get in private practice. But the things I didn't like, I like about private practice. So how do I merge a company to, with all those things? In fact, that picture right here behind my wall right here is the first drawing of what we imagined a, a newly formed type of DSO in that model would go through. Um, so uh, we wrote it all down and the rest is kind of, my brother and I had a vision. I, 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 my brother's practice, my brother was a, um, a mine was a fee for service office. I was a pure fee for service. Yes. My brother's office was a pure PPO office. And um, my dad came to me one time and he's like, man, your brother is a good dentist, but, he's not doing what you're doing. What is it? And I'm like, well, I'm fee for service. He's PPO. But once we got into my brother's office and was able to change him around and bring him from a $500,000 office to a $2 million office in about a 14 month period, he was able to see, Oh my gosh, I was, I was missing not 
the actual dentistry. It was more dentistry was walking out the door than walking in the door. Okay. So so it's trying to figure that out. So this, I want to sort of, I I want to do a deep dive into this. So first I want to talk about when you talked about taking over Jack's practice. So Mm -hmm. when you come from the, the DSO world and now you're going into a private practice, now you own a private practice. What skill set did you get from the DSO that immediately felt helped change the, the organization or change that practice that allowed you to grow that practice? I'm assuming that you grew that practice when, once you took over that practice. I could tell you in a matter of, I, all I had to do is print out one report out of, their, out of their computer system, and I could tell you like that what they were missing. So, so they give had me no for instance. Parents. X-ray program wasn't being run. Perio program wasn't being done. And patients treatment acceptance was very low. All right. So what do you do? Let's, let's go through those three things for our young dentists who, who are watching and listening to this. So you're looking at the Perio. You're looking at a Perio report. How many patients, what percentage of patients are having profies versus what percentage of patients are having scale and root planings? So let me back that up for one second before we get into that, Dennis. So there's for all young dentists, there's four foundations that nobody has ever been able to prove that a successful dental practice screws up one of these four foundations. That's customer service, recall, treatment presentation, and accounts receivable. If you can't do one of those four well, you're probably going to find yourself in a, in a, in a state of chaos. Okay? Say same again. You go through them again. Uh, customer service, accounts receivable, Recare and treatment presentation. Okay. okay. Now the next, because we're a relationship-based business, right? Yes. If you can't form relationships with patients, because I will tell you, I've seen the shittiest of shitty dentists with the most unbelievably successful practices. Of course. Because they're dynamic individuals, exactly. and I've seen the best dentists in the world with the worst practices because they're just not dynamic and they can't connect with anybody. That's why customer service is always first. Yes. But the second thing that everybody should realize is this, when you're looking at a dental practice, this is super important. 120 adult profies per month, 120 adult profies, no perio maintenance, nothing, just adult profies. If you look at a practice and you see 120 adult profies, you know that that practice can do, a million dollars a year without being aggressive. Mm. If you see 150 adult profies, you could do between 1.2 and 1.5. If you move to 180, you could do 1.5 to 2 million. If you're over 200, you probably need another dentist in there and you could do over $2 million to 2.5 usually. So there is, and it works like clockwork. It works like clockwork. So when you ask me, what did I learn? That's the reports. I just started looking at all that stuff and trying to figure out, wait a second, where am I at right now and how can I make this work? Okay, so let's say you go to this practice and say there is 120 profies per month, but they're only producing, say, $600,000 a year. So what are you looking at then that says, well, where, where are we off? So there's, there's, the, there's the patients in the practice. You got 120 profies a month, so you got the patients in the practice. The the dentist seems like a nice person. They seem like they can engage and stuff. What are you looking at? What's, what's the next step after and you say that? I try to buy it as fast as possible. No, <laughs> no I, honestly, so you're looking at where the, where the shortfalls are, okay? So, so I'm, I'm going to tell you where most dental practices, this is, 
actually, I'm going to get to your question, but I, I got to state this first, right? Whenever somebody comes to me and says, man, I, I got a problem with ESOs, my answer is I have probably the same problems you have. There are bad actors in every field, For sure. right? Yes. I tell them, though, I tell them, but if you really want to find bad actors, come hang out with me. I look at 20 to 30 dental practices per month. I look at 20 to 30. Post-pandemic, I'm looking at 60. But 20 to 30 pre-pandemic. When you walk into these offices, you will be stunned at what you see. So, for example, 30 new, pa 30 new patients a month all year long. 30 new patients a month, zero quads scaling and replaning. Interesting. That's, that's odd, right? No full mouth x-rays ever taken in the office. Interesting. Um, it's it's prehistoric, like it's it's crazy dentistry, right? Nothing that even remotely looks like the standard of care. And the unfortunate part is that I see. I, I'm gonna be totally honest. This is a this is a straightforward answer, and I will say this to anybody. And I and I actually encourage people to come and see it for themselves. Unfortunately, seventy percent, seventy five percent of the practices that I look at. And it's not just because I'm looking at crappy practices. It's just a random guess has that issue in it. So when I'm looking at these practices, I'm finding a $600,000 practice that sees 120 adult profies. They don't have an x-ray policy. They don't have a perio policy. They are drilling and filling massive, huge bricks of composites. There's hardly any restorative work that's long-term restorative work it's all short-term restorative work there's not one perio chart done um these are just things that are occurring in there that you're like oh my golly this is mind-boggling so if you take over a practice like that and this may be varying a little bit but let's say you take over a practice like that how do you how do you not lose the patient base and how do you and i know it's going to take a lot of retraining for the team members but I assume that that's gotta be one of the challenges also is that now you're gonna be telling team members who for 20 years have been told they don't need to take full mouth series of x-rays. They can just take PAs here and there. Yeah, and yeah. So how do, you, how do you make that transition from taking a practice that is doing not standard of care dentistry and, and challenging the practice to do standard of care dentistry, which is not only good for the dental practice, but appropriate for the patient as well. How do you how do you handle that? Yeah, no doubt it's the secret sauce, right? Um, I, I will tell you this: um, we have at Decision One retention of old team members. That is team members that we have gone ahead and acquired an office and brought it in. This is over seventy transactions because we've bought a lot of transactions that we've molded into the thirty-one practices that we've had. Okay. Um, uh, so we well over seventy uh, transactions. 94% retention of team members, and we have approximately 91 to 92% of retention of patients in all of, our, in all of our stuff. So that's our benchmark. Our benchmark actually is we want 94% retention of our patients. In, in some cases, like we're talking about right here, in the worst case scenario, it's a $600,000 practice, a disaster. We hope that we retain about 84, 85% of the patients that are coming through there. Um, you just got to start teaching and you got to understand the why that's it. And, and what we do differently a little bit is, is that our, 
if, if a clinician's going to talk to a clinician, it's only doctors talking to doctors. There's no non-doctors talking to non-doctor or doctors and, and all that stuff. It is church and state. We right. make sure that our clinical state um, is that they are talking with our, 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 our um, and doctors. So they don't have a guy. Extremely important. They don't have someone coming in in a suit and tie who's just some numbers, some metrics person coming in to tell them about how they should be running their practice. You're, you're saying, look, we're peers. I'm a dentist. You're a dentist. This is, this, is how, this is how we were taught. This is how we're trained. This is why we're taught. This is why we're trained. Let's get you back how you know that you're supposed to be doing it. Is that sort of the conversation? That's absolutely. Now, I will tell you this. I, I, even on the Heartlands and the, and the Pacific Dental Services and everybody that's like, oh, my God, those are the the um, uh, prime suspect number ones, right, that, that you were talking about earlier. Right. Um, I, I, will, I will be totally honest with you. I have never heard, I have never witnessed myself personally when I worked there or anything, anybody telling me how to do dentistry. Okay. Did they try to improve my business? Yes. That is an absolute dagger to the community of dentistry. And any ADSO person will tell you, nobody should be telling a doc. It is a support organization. A DSO is a dental support organization. You're supporting the dentist. You're not on the business side. You're not supporting them and telling them what to do on the dental side. They have their degree. You, they should know what they're doing. Now, do we mentor? Do we try to mentor and help them through that? Yeah, absolutely. Just like as if you would dentist mentor one of your associates, right? Yep. Um, and, and, and in private practice. That's what we do, at least in our DSO, and we really make that happen. The other thing we do is we teach our offices, which a lot of people disagree with us on this, but we teach our offices how to fish. We don't fish for them. So I will teach them how to read numbers. I will teach them how to self-diagnose the issues in their office because nobody wants somebody in a suit to come in and tell them that they're doing something wrong. Got it. So we want them to figure it out themselves so we don't have to do that. We want to support them on them saying, hey, I got a problem here. You got 31 other practices. Tell me what they're doing right so we can fix it. That's what we want them to do. Um, do we, but we don't want them to fail either. So does it occur sometimes where they don't realize that something bad's going on and that they're not getting good acceptance? Yes. And then you have to say, hey, listen, guys, you got to, hey, let's wake up and smell the coffee here. What do we got going on? Okay. Um, and it's usually an easy conversation because the doctor doesn't want to be losing patients and doesn't want to be doing any of that stuff. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. If you hire a consultant, the consultant's telling you that, right? Yep. So I always tell them, just look at me like that. But if I come in and start telling you that you're not diagnosing enough or you're not doing any of those things, that's on you. It's your license, right? Like if you, if you're not doing any perio, be comfortable that you're going to get sued, right? Just be comfortable in that. So that's, that's how we go about things. Well, so you're to talk a little bit about your DSO, cause it's a little bit different. I think than as we talked about with maybe Heartland or Aspen or some of the very big DSOs. So you, you guys have a very different, uh, I think way of bringing your practices together. So talk about how you guys have brought your practice together and ownership of your practices and what it means to be part of the decision one uh, dental group. So there's a, there's a, you know, on the acquiring docs that we uh, take over their uh, practices. Um, and I use that word specifically because I want everybody to remember when you say take over. Okay. So 
taking over a practice and partnering with a practice is first and foremost the two different things when you acquire a practice, okay? We partner with a practice. Taking over a dental practice is usually what DSOs did in the past, right? They just took it over and they just said, hey, this is how we run our DSO. You either like it or not. This is the best way because this is the way we know it and this is how you're going to do it. That's what I've always Um, heard about. Yeah, and, and we partner with a practice. So my job, the best way I can explain it, that decision one is, when I walk into a dental office, it's like a beautiful radio playing music. Some of these offices, it's an old radio, but the music coming out of it's really nice, right? You look at it and you go, hey, doc, what we do, we have a doctor expectation meeting. Before we sign any papers, we say, doc, we look at your practice. We looked at everything. Here are the things that we think are really good and we can't screw up. And here are things that we need to do to improve your practice. If that doctor does not sign off on that and is not there, we do not do the deal. Okay. Okay? Now we at decision one have only grown the 31 locations and only have done over 70 deals. I say only because people look at me and go, AJ, you've been around for eight years, man. You should be well over a hundred. You should be 150 dental practices. The reason that we are very slow on growth is because of this method. So I'm telling everybody the negative about this method that I'm going through is it's very hard to do a lot of acquisitions. Okay. So I'm being because totally you're blunt. Because you're more particular about the practices. You, you want to have this partnership versus just taking over a practice. You want to have a understanding with this other dentist. You want to have a partnership, a collaborative partnership. I can build a dental office and buy dental equipment and plug it in anywhere, anywhere in America right? I'm buying all their goodwill. I don't care what my accountants say. I buy all their goodwill. I'm buying the relationships that every single person has in that office with those patients. If I lose the team and the team's pissed off at me and they leave, I lose my investment that I just made in that, in that practice. Correct. Okay. So my view is this, I need to get them on board and I need to get them to understand why I believe what they're doing is right. And I need them to get on board of These are the things that can really help your practice. Okay. And I got to give them the why. And we are not, we are very clear people first, patients and team members first systems. You got to have systems in your practice to make it run well and an ethical profitable business. And, and, And this is more than ever out of a pandemic. I told everybody, my job is to make sure that you have a home to come back to that you have security that you have a job that's going to get a paycheck. Okay. If we are not an ethical, profitable business, you will no longer have a home to come to. So that's a job that we have to look at and I get them involved. So one of the other differences that we do is we are fully transparent, Dennis, every single dollar and every single thing that is done in the practice is given to the team members. They see how much our doctors make. They see how much we spend on everything individual hourly pay we don't do but everything else is transparent so if somebody comes to us and says hey doc you made a lot of money this month we want to share in that that's right we're sharing in a big bonus program that we have with our team members because we want to share with them when there's more yeah but if they say we want it all then you're not aligned on our values right then that the values are, are wrong on there and that's those are the things we spend a lot of time and energy on is really working on the culture 
of the practice, the why behind certain things that move a practice forward. That's what we spend a lot of time on. So when you say the why of it, so is this coming from Simon Sinek's start with why? Is this the, the essence? That is correct. Yep. So, we, so, we, we train that. So our young dentists here who are, let's say they've been in a DSO, like many young dentists do, they'll come out and they'll spend, you know, a few years, maybe five years in the DSO. Now they want to get their own practice. They want to have ownership. What would you suggest to them when they're looking at a practice? It sounds to me, AJ, like the first thing, if they take over a practice, they really have to invest their time in trying to manage, let me say that, manage the relationships of the team members that are already there. Try, as you said, it's all about the people, the patients, and those patients, the conduit to the patients, if you're a new dentist, are the existing team members who are now going to be the conduit to those patients. So for young dentists, Correct. would you say the key for them is to work with the existing team members so that they can then help with that transition into the new, into the, into the new ownership? So here's my... Um... First and foremost, in regards to associateships, right? So you come out of a DSO and now you go into an associateship. Let's I, say you I want to buy a practice, that. but let's say you want to buy let's a practice. I would say that the first and foremost, making sure that you that the team that you have the team on board with you to help you transition the practice is a must. You lose the team, you can lose the practice. Um, and then I would say. For anybody that is concerned about a bad, like you hear these bad things or bad um, dentists that aren't happy with a, with a DSO, right? This is the greatest thing, by the way. Any new dentist coming out, you have way more options than I had. Growing. You can join a small group. You can join a private practice. You can join a large DSO. I mean, everybody has something that, you can, that offers something for you. And I think that's great for dentistry. Um, but... I don't think it's fair when somebody says, man, there's a lot of people that have bad experiences at a DSO because I can tell you, because I'm, I'm interviewing all our doctors that come in here. I can tell you that there is as many people that are having bad experiences in associateships as they are at DSOs. Yes. Right. And it's just because maybe you're not placed in the right place. So making sure that you really do due diligence you check and see, is this the place for me? Especially when buying a practice, you know, the first and foremost thing when you buy a practice is you want to make sure that there's enough patients for you. Right. Especially if you're transitioning. If the doctor says, hey, listen, I'm going to hang out for a couple of years. Oh, yeah, oh my gosh, doc, that's awesome. That means people will love me. That's terrific. By the second month, you're going to go, why are they doing all the work and I'm not doing any and I'm not going right. to make any money if that person's still here, you know, There's not enough dentistry so, for two doctors. And that's a common, that's a common mistake is that oh. when, a, when a senior dentist brings in a young dentist, there's enough dentistry for the senior dentist, but not enough dentistry for both. And dentist, that can be a real issue for this young dentist. That's just, especially if they've invested into the practice. Dennis, I can probably say, honestly, on my whole career helping out, let's say call it, well over a hundred dentists, private practice dentists. And they've come to me and said, I'm trying to get an associate. Can you help me out? Yeah, no problem. Let me see. Uh, can you just tell me how many adult profies are coming through your practice? I don't think, except I can remember two cases. I don't think I can remember other than two cases that I ever looked at a dentist and said, you know, it's a good idea that you go ahead and do that. Right? Because the aspect is if you're bringing an associate and you're under 180 adult profies, 
you're going to have to give something up in order to retain an associate. Retain. If, if you're not, you'll have an associate, but you won't retain them. They're only going to be around six months to 12 months. Because they won't have enough dentistry to do. It's almost like clockwork, Dennis. If, if a dentist doesn't, in a DSO, if a dentist doesn't make above 200000 after their second year, it's, you have 50% retention. If they make over $210,000 after their second year, you jump up to almost 90% retention. So when you're, when you were talking to a young dentist and let's say, cause I have a bunch of listeners and readers who are actually dental students. And so yeah. as they're looking at DSOs and they're coming out, as you mentioned, they have so many to choose from as far as variety of DSOs. And like you said, solo practices, group practices, small DSOs, large DSOs and midsize, of course, finding, finding the right fit, I think is a real challenge when, you know, when I was a young dentist, I, we didn't have any options hardly, you know, when I came out, it was just private practice. And back in the eighties, especially in Chicago, there were hardly any private practices looking for dentists. That was a real challenge, but I don't know if I would have known the right questions to ask. So for a young dentist that's looking at a DSO and they're interviewing, what is a question or two that a DSO, that a, a graduating student or a young dentist, what's a good question or two for them to ask the DSO interviewer about what, what's going to be happening or what, what should they know? What are two good questions? I want to go hang out in a dental office with a new dentist that you just hired. You know, okay. I, want to go, I want to go in there and I want to, I want to hang out for an entire day. If they, so, that is a must. So they should, they should make sure that they have an opportunity to be in the practice where they'll be going or a similar practice? Similar practice. What you're trying to find out is like, what's the culture? What's going on? There, it, it, because a lot of new dentists, what they're trying to go, they're trying to go in there and they're trying to, and I, I, I tell them this because I teach over at Creighton their business, some of their business classes. So I'll tell them, I said, first and foremost, no job in the entire world is perfect. If you walk into a place and it looks like utopia and everybody's sitting on cloud nines and it's unicorns and rainbows, get out. Yeah. Something's wrong, right? Yeah. If yes. somebody's got to be there telling you, listen, I like this, but I don't like this. I like this, but I don't like this, right? That's a real life. That's real life, okay? Real life. So if you can go into the practice that they're going to put you in, man, that would be ideal. But if you're not, then at least it's, I'm going there to, to, to figure out the culture. That's why I tell every senior, I said, if you're not going into, uh, if you're going right into dentistry, start the beginning of your senior year, every time, every chance that you get, go interview, but hang out in these dental practices, start to experience what you want. Look at four or five different ones and go from there. Um, and then the answer should be is uh, another question should be is, okay, so you're putting me in a practice. Am I going to be solo or am I going to be with somebody? Okay. Yeah. And, and, and what, and what do they want? And if you're going to be solo, what kind of support are you going to give me? Right. And, um, if I'm going to be put in an office with somebody, is there, is there two dentists in there right now? And if they are, how much are they making and what are they, how much, how many procedures are they doing? Um, if there are no, if there's one dentist and now they're adding another dentist, I want to know exactly how many patients there are. I, I remember if there's over 180 adult profies, there's room for you. If it's under, it's going to be tough, you know? Um, so, so asking those type of questions is really important. 
Um, what kind of CE am I going to get? What kind of training am I going to get? Um, you know, th- all those all those aspects are super important. Those are those are great questions. Uh, you know, the CE I might have thought about because I'm all about CE and stuff. But uh, no, but truly, these questions about like making sure that you get in the practice and see what it's like, see what the culture is like. That's a great thing. And I wouldn't have thought about that. But that's certainly what I would do if I was going to be going into a private practice. I would want to be there. You know, when we bring people in for interviews or for time to be, you know, for coming into the practice, we want them to be part of the practice and see what the culture is like. We want to see how they fit into the culture. So I guess that makes perfect sense. I think also asking asking about how – how many dentists are already there? Is there an opportunity for mentorship if this is a dentist that's looking for mentorship or if it's a dentist who wants to have his own experience and doesn't, you know, they're not looking for that mentorship. They want to be their own king. Then I think those are also really important questions to ask. That's, that's great advice. Yeah. Also, um, you know, there's fee for service, there's PPO, and then there's Medicaid, right? Our, our company does not do any Medicaid. Uh, we have out of our 31 practices, we have six of them that are pure fee for service. They don't accept any um, insurance uh, or boutique type of practices. They are very boutique type of practices. Um, and then you have uh, the rest of our offices that are more like a family practice, you know, mm-hmm. um, a pure, uh, pure, uh, you know, PPO type of family practice. Um, so you want to know that stuff, you know, because I'm not saying Medicaid's bad. I, I think it's, it's fine, but, the question is, okay, how do you bill, right? Because right. now, once you go into a practice with Medicaid, the biggest issue with Medicaid is billing. Yes. So how are you going to make sure that I'm going to be protected if you screw up my billing, right? Yes. Because I, I, the last thing you want to do is get, get in trouble with the state on Medicaid fraud, you right. know? So. Yes. All right, so now let's, let's switch over and let's say, because there are some senior dentists, people like me, who listen to uh, dental online training. So yeah. let's say... At what are you looking for? Or let me, I'm going to reverse this. What type of dentist seeks you out because they want to join decision one? Who's, who's looking yes. for you? What type of dentist? So we're at decision one, we're all over the board. Um, we have the dentist that is like, Hey, listen, I want to retire in five years. Uh, we have dentists that have come to us and said, I want to retire in three months. Uh, we have dentists that are in their f- early fifties that are just like, I'm done. I'm done. Like it's, it's either you get rid of the business for me and let me do my dentistry or I'm not going to be able to deal with this anymore. And then you have those that have tried to start a practice out and it's just not working. You know, it's, it's, it's a tough road, you know, Hey, I'm not getting as many new patients as I thought. Um, the doubt, you know, I've, I've borrowed so much money. It's pretty, it's, it's more difficult. Um, so we're, we're really all over the board. This is what I would tell every dentist, though, that is 55 and above, right? That's me. S- start planning your end. My death. What was that? My death. Start, you planning my, no. start planning my death. Your end of your career. Start planning <laughs> the end of your career. Thank goodness. And that could be, that could be like, hey, I want to work until I'm 70. We right. have – we have – we have five of those dentists that have told us they're, they're over 65 and they're like, I want to continue working. I, as long as you do the standard of care, you can continue working. Right. Yep. But start planning the financial end of your career. Right. right. It, there is nobody that above the age of 60 should be working because, Hey, listen, I have to work. 
I'm, I'm just being honest because I've seen this as a disaster my sure. entire career, and it actually makes me sad because you see dentists that are super successful and they're great, and they're just like, hey, I got to put another five years in or else I can't retire. And you're like, what the heck just happened, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to be able to plan that, you know, and part of that plan might be, hey, give me a lump sum right now and pay for my practice and I'll work for you as an, as a, as an employee. Some of that is that at decision one, they have the opportunity to either sell it outright. They can go ahead and become a partner with us in that individual practice. They can own a piece called a sub DSO model, or they can take some of the proceeds that they had and they buy in on the full company level. About almost everybody does that because, um, you know, as you're growing a, a DSO, and um, as you get more investors in, the value of the DSO increases tremendously. Sure. And that's where, that's where you can get your most return on your dollars. That's interesting. And how many other DSOs, or I, I don't want to say how many, is that a common thing with DSOs? That it's becoming, that yeah. It's becoming. All three of those is a little tough because um, it, it, all three of those, probably not everybody, um, but you know, one of those is usually where everybody goes to. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. And I don't think many people, certainly, uh, my colleagues, I don't think that many of us know that there is that opportunity to be a, be an owner or part owner of your practice, even if you were to sell it to a DSO, a group like decision one, oh, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or even to be invested into the, the bigger part of it, you know, the, I think the thing that's interesting, AJ, the common thought is, is that the, and maybe this is old school, that the corporation would come in, would look to remove the senior dentist, bring in a younger dentist at a much younger, at a much lower wage, and sort of transition the practice and just work on, on data metrics to try to make the practice more profitable. Maybe that's, maybe that's how, how DSOs were running, or maybe some, that's still how some do run. But your model certainly seems to be more important to make it advantageous for the senior dentist to stick around and be part of it and help continue to grow the organization. Yeah. um, I don't think it's because of a lesser wage. I think I'm being totally honest there. I think the reason some DSOs get rid of the older dentist because they're a pain in the ass. I'm just, I'm being totally, totally, totally straightforward because it's, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, right? So no if you go, if you go in there and, and, and you want to improve the practice, especially when you put a young associate in there, now you got the, the old dog and you got the associate, right? Uh-huh. And now it's boom, you know? So what you want to, so that's why wages, we pay our doctors, this is a negative about D1. And I don't know about a negative. I think it's just, we want to be fair. I get paid exactly the same as somebody coming out of school. We, we pay all our doctors the same. The reason we do that is, is because I know I can produce more and I can see more patients. So I'm going to make more money than a dentist coming right out of school. Sure. Right. But I never wanted where all of a sudden it was all these dentists got paid differently. You know, I, I just, we're all colleagues, we're all the same. We're all producing. Like if, if somebody randomly went and saw me and I was a first year going out of school and they saw a 10 year person, I demand as a dentist, I demand the same level of care 
right. no matter what, right? So that's what we do. And I, you know, I've had this debate with a lot of people on whether that's right, wrong, or indifferent. Why don't you do like, third, why don't you do a tier process of, of, sure. of collect, you know, I, our view is, is that um, our doctors are very happy. Our retention rate, our, our turnover rate on our doctors is below 5%. That's great. So, so one, one question I have, when you have this many practices, I suppose even if you have two or three practices, how do you, how do you calibrate between the practices? So as you're placing like, okay, post-COVID, now there's going to be a whole new PPE protocol. So how do you calibrate and are you doing best decisions from different practices? I know it's, it's got to come from top down, but there's going to be others that are going to have some ideas and some thoughts. So how do you how do you calibrate and how do you colla uh, collaborate as you're yeah. as you have this many practices? So pre-COVID, I'll talk pre-COVID, then I'll talk post-COVID. Um, pre-COVID, our teams get just like a consultant would give them, they get a full round of metrics and, and data about their practice. Sure. Um, Pre-COVID, we would meet with team leaders and doctors every other month and we would discuss those and then they had the opportunity to speak into this is the best practices that we're using right this is what's going on this is what we're doing we're having low acceptance in my office great somebody want to speak on that somebody else speaks on that and then you train them and you do some things on training okay yeah, sure. um when you have that many practices though it starts to play out to where you know just in, in instinctively, you know what a practice should be doing right. by the numbers of patients that they're that they're seeing, right? Of course. You just know you just know that, and by the by the way you see that. In fact, I if somebody hands me a data sheet on a on a practice, I could tell you within the pretty close about what they're probably producing um, just by seeing data. So that's what we did pre post pandemic we are doing a lot more because we always used to meet, right? Sure. We were, we were old yeah, been, school. I've, we met. I've been, I've been at met. some of your meetings when you guys would meet. So now we're doing zoom and now we're doing weekly Friday meetings where, where a lot of team members are joining in and they're learning and they're, and they're discussing and they're, and they're giving their, Hey, I'm having a hard time with this. I'm rescheduling this. Like we're, we're, we're in it. And then during the pandemic, every morning during the pandemic, when everybody was on furlough, we got over 200 every single morning, 200 team members would join a virtual Zoom call and we would talk about what's going on in COVID, what we were doing as a company, but also personally, how can we help each other through this process? So um, we do now post COVID, we're doing a lot more of this. Mm -hmm. um, with our teams and making sure that we have conversations with them. That's great. I think that was really valuable for us also, not only with our teams, which we spent a lot of time making sure we were connecting with them, but we've actually been doing newsletters, which I hadn't done since I was a young dentist. Uh, but every couple of weeks we were sending out a newsletter to patients to inform them what we're doing differently, what they should expect, uh, introducing new team members. And I cannot That's tell awesome. you the, the response we've been getting from patients they are so, they, they have literally said, I'm so grateful to get your newsletter. For them, it's like a piece of normalcy in the outside world. And it's amazing, you, isn't it? Yep. And as you've experienced too, uh, again today, I had someone who said, outside of my wife, you're the only other person that I've seen in several months.
And so we, by bringing our world into them, I think it's given them a little sense of reality, a little sense of normalcy, which I believe patients today are really engaging with. And so no, no question. Yep. Any listeners out there, and I don't care if you're a dental student or if you're a dentist um, associate or in a, own your own practice, reach out to your patients and just give, give them a little heads up what's going on. I tell you, they will appreciate it. And it doesn't have to be a whole lot. We sent out recipes one time and patients still talk about it. Hey, that was great. And I tried this and, you know, and it's, it's been fun for the team and it's been fun for us. And it's really been, uh, it's been really great hearing back from our patients on how they've enjoyed it. So that's awesome. Uh, AJ, I want to finish up uh, a couple of things I want to ask you though, before we finish up, mm-hmm. this is sort of a corny question, but it's something that I think we have to, as we're talking to young dentists, What's the best part for you about being a dentist? Relationships. Oh. With my patients, hands down. Hands down, just the fact that somebody trusts me to treat them, I miss it. Like, I I, I still am in the chair two days a week. Um, By the way, if you're growing a DSO, never stop doing dentistry. Okay, because? because dentists make more money than CEOs. And once you become a full-time CEO and you expect to get paid the same as dentists, bad move, really bad move. Because you try to pay yourself too much when you're running this, right? No kidding. So, so that's, that's one. There's a, there's a bunch of reasons. That's one. The second reason is staying wet fingered allows you a connection with your doctors and with your team members. Okay. Now I know I can't do that forever as I continue to grow, but that, that is a valuable thing that you never forget where you came from. Right. And then number three is, is probably the one thing that I would tell everybody when you're a CEO of a company. Okay. Um, and you're dealing with making decisions, it's nice to be able to try those decisions in the office when you're working to see if it's actually going to work. So, so that, that's a, just a little something of why I do it. Um, so that, that's it. But you're in a profession where you're going to make a lot more money than most CEOs out there. Okay. That's so, interesting. Uh, that's, just, that's just the way it goes. I don't think people were actually thought that. I would think that most people thought that CEOs actually were going to get paid much more than dentists would be and that it would be no. much easier. If you're, if you're working for a half a billion dollar company or a quarter billion dollar company, yeah. But when you're starting off as a, as a, as a dental organization, if you have 10 practices, just let's call it 10 practices, mm-hmm. and your profitability is 2.5 million, and let's say it's worth eight times, I, I, I don't mean this as derogatory. You only have a $16 million company, right? Now, $16 million is a lot of money, it and it's a great company. But it's not enough to pay you what you would get paid as a dentist. And by the way, if you did pay yourself that, then you can't build the support structure around you and get the people that you need around you in order to keep on growing, Right. right? Yes. So, so that's, it, it, it's always been um, just the business principles, good business principles that you have to look at. But going back, I just miss the relationships. I honestly do. I, I really do. That's what I, that's what I miss. 
Next part, two part question. First part, what's the most challenging part of being a dentist? Not a DC, not a, not a CEO, but as a practicing dentist, what's the most challenging part? People. Yeah. Right. Manage, managing people, you know, like, I mean, um, dentistry is easy, right? Like you, you get really good at it. It's fun. Um, dentistry is easy. It's managing people, personalities, um, patients, personalities. It's, it's a, that's what, that's what ages you in dentistry fast. No argument with that. I agree. All right. As a DSO CEO, what's the most challenging thing? People managing people instead of managing, you know, when I left, when I was full-time in my practice, before I started the DSO, we had 14 team members in my office. So managing 14 team members and 350, it's just, you know, as a parent, they tell you like bigger kids, bigger problems, hmm. bigger, bigger company, bigger problems. <laughs> what, what? But it's, and that, that's not an easy way out. That's honestly, that's, that's, that is my, my crux. The flip side, having in this DSO that's been successful, what's the best part about it? The people. Honestly, like being able to change lives, you know, has, has really, really made me proud. You know, um, uh, you know, when you have family members that come up to you and say, Hey, listen, without this job, we wouldn't be able to do this. Or um, thank you for allowing us to be able to um, have these things in life. And that's, man, that's a, that's just a great, great place. Um, I also, the second thing is I'm happy that we're forming something that's actually um, improving dentistry, not making somebody a lot of money and just leaving dentistry to the wayside. Because I, running a DSO, by the way, you can, you can ramp up. It's going to be hard now after the pandemic, and really it was starting to get harder. But back when I started my DSO, if I wanted to get really rich, what I should have done was just built up something to 100 offices, make sure that it was okay, and flip it, Right. which a lot, which a lot of dentists did. You yes. know, and they made a, they made 40, 50 million bucks. Right. Um, you know, I always wanted to build something, you know, our tagline is, is, you know, we want to make a difference in dentistry. Yes. Right. We want to make it like, that's what we want to do. And, and I still stick to that today. So AJ, your success is with your DSO. What do you attribute it to? Is it hard work? Is it just good old fashioned luck? What's, what's, what's the secret? Luck, uh, hard work, um, and surrounding myself with really good people. I'm just a dentist. I'm, I never took a business course in my life, right? And I was able to surround myself with people that were a lot smarter than me. Um, I mean, I knew how to run a dental practice, but there's a difference between running a dental practice and managing uh, banking relationships and legal documents and, uh, you know, an RCM program and um, HR department. Those are, you, you got to have good people around you. Conversations you got to have some luck. VCs. Yeah. You got to have some luck. I mean, listen, there's, 
some deals that I did in the past that I'm like, oh my golly, was I an idiot, you know, like that was the worst move I could have made, but man, it worked out, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, and it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, people ask me and like, oh, AJ, you must be, like, why do you do two days a week dentistry? You must be on easy train. You own your own company. You can do your own hours, you know? Right. And I mean, it's a, it's a 60, 80 hour a week job. Yep. You know, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're running a, you know, uh, you know, an over a 75 million revenue company, you know, like all of a sudden you got to sit there and you got to think, Oh my gosh, like you got to put some hours in, you know, right. and it's it, tough. It's, it doesn't it's run itself. Tough. Oh it man. Did not run itself. Last question. And it, how do you yep. keep a balance? How do you keep a balance between home life? I know you have a couple of kids, uh, yeah. got a family, you have, you practice dentistry. You also, I know you um, like to do other things with your free time. How do you keep a balance? I struggle to be honest with you. So, um, I, working out for me has been always like my release. So, right. uh, my kid, my kids go to bed. I have, I have a, a 13-year-old, 11-year-old, and an 8-year-old. So they go to bed. The 13-year-old now stays up. But, right. uh, you know, when they when they were going to bed and they were really young, because remember, the company's 8 years old, so they were really young. Right. Um, at, at When they went to bed, I worked out at night. So I was coming home at 10.30 for my workouts. Just that's the time that I could do. So I sure. came home and I spent time with them. Um, I'm not good at that. I've been – real raw. I'm not, I'm not good at it. Um, yeah, I have a, a wonderful wife that is, uh, very understanding of it. Um, I, I'm embarrassed to say that there's probably a good portion of all three of the kids lives that I miss. Sure. You know, there's, yep. there's six years, there's six years that I missed, you know, and, and it makes me sad, but it also, you know, it, it allows me now a, process to show my kids this is what hard work can get you to right you know yes you have to i had to sacrifice a lot of things but this is where it gets you to um and uh so so i'm not good at it i'm still working on it my wife holds me accountable to it um you know but when i leave i try to nowadays um i i try to leave work here i i don't go home and flip computers open and i do all that stuff when i get home I, tr I try to be at home and I try to be present. It's really difficult when you're running a DSO to be, you know, cause your yes. offices are still open and stuff yep. is happening. So um, it's hard, but um, if anybody out there has any really good work on that, let us know and I, right. help me out. <laughs> same here. And, I, and I'm trying to execute the same way is to leave it at the office, but running, you know, dental online training and doing dental dentistry full time. Uh, there's, there's limited hours, but also just trying to find that balance. But I'm also trying to do the same thing. When I get home, keep the computer closed and just make sure that I, I have time for, for the personal relationships that are important because that's what it's all about yeah. in the end. It is, no question about that. AJ, I'm going to put a link to uh, on the website. So if anyone wants to connect with you, either they're interested yeah. in more about your story or they're interested in your practices and they want to sort of come in and maybe partner with you, or they're looking to come in and as an associate, we'll make sure that we create that link so that they can do that. So they can catch up with you and stuff. Yeah. I, I, 
I personally cannot thank you enough. Truly, I am blessed to be surrounded by people who are truly, I'm truly blessed to be surrounded by people who are so caring and giving because in a world where there's not sometimes a whole lot of it and there's uh, maybe it's just harder to find it, I've been fortunate to find people who are really open and giving of their time and their information and sharing with our DOT audience. I, I simply can't thank you enough. I'm truly blessed and thank you. Now, and ditto, ditto on my part, Dennis, listen, there is um, very few people in my life that you meet where you say that like you've actually uh, changed my view on something. And I'm telling you, uh, the dentistry that you do is, was remarkable. You know, you. it is remarkable. Um, can I give the story before I end this? Can I give the story when I was at your office? You, you get the final word. You go. All right. So I'm at your office and um, I, I won't say the name. Okay. So a very well-known dentist was in Dennis's office doing some work. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to, I got to see this work. So I go in there and there, there's this woman, she's he's doing some veneers on her, some composite veneers. And I mean, he's doing, it's beautiful. I mean, it's just mesmerizing. And he looks at me, I would be a little crude here, but I got to give the whole context, right? Make it the colorful. patient is in the chair. The patient's in the chair, right? Yep. He looks at me and he goes, what's your name? Do you know how lucky you are to watch me do this? <laughs> and I said, yep, I am really lucky. I am lucky. <laughs> but I, I'll tell you what, I learned so much from that day. It was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> well, I remember that like it was yesterday. And uh, yes, my former partner, he, uh, he's quite colorful in, in his language. And... <laughs> It's not the only time you ever dropped the F-bomb, so. <laughs> it was great. But honestly, it's people like you, Dennis, that make dentistry go, man. And um, what you're doing for these young dentists and what you're doing for dentist, dentistry, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, AJ. Thanks so much. And I will be talking to you down the road. And to our dental online trainers, thank you for joining us for the ShareCast. And look forward to see the printed manuscript of transcription of this also on the DOT blog site. And we look forward to seeing you at our next year cast. So thanks for joining us.